Hello everyone, welcome back to Struggle Session. Yes, we are back. I am your host, Leslie Lee III. I'll be joined later by my co-host, Jack Allison. Thank you all so much for your support and your patience over these past couple of very hard months for me personally, because I think, as you all know, I'm dealing with long COVID. It, had to, it put me out of my day job. It really got in the way of Struggle Session, but it's summer, but it's summer. I'm feeling a little bit better, feeling a little bit more up to it, and we're going to keep rocking and rolling here on Struggle Session. Thank you all so much for your support. Thank you all so much for your support, the great kind messages and emails I've gotten. Uh, all of you who checked out the charity stream that uh, my friend, good friend Katie Halper did with a bunch of other great uh, folks. I'll include, I'll include the link in the show notes if you haven't seen it because it's an all-star cast of guests. Will Miniker, Matt Chrisman, Jamie Peck, Tom from Trill Billies, tons of great people. Thank you everyone who donated or subscribed to the Patreon, which you can find the link for in the show notes. You can also subscribe. Thank you to everyone who listens to us on the public feed at, at Spreaker, at Spotify, YouTube. Oh yeah, we're on we got stuff on YouTube now too, so you can listen to us there. Thank you all for sharing the show with your friends, giving us those uh, five-star reviews on iTunes or wherever. Again, I really appreciate all your support and your help. I wouldn't have made it, me and my family, YB, Taco, and Spike, we wouldn't have made it through this without all of your help and support, and I'll always be appreciative of that. Also, I've been really appreciative of the messages and emails I've gotten. So please, 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 if you don't mind, send me an email at thestrugglesession at gmail.com if you like. Uh, it may take me a while to get back to you. Uh, the answering emails is one of the things that uh, long COVID makes really, really uh, tiring and frustrating. But I do read them and I really do appreciate them. And one more bit of business before we get into today's episode. You can find me, as well as Struggle Session, on Threads right now. I know you got Blue Sky out there, you got Spill, but Threads was the one where people could actually sign up. So I'm on there, the Leslie Lee III. I guess someone already has a Leslie Lee III III account on there. So I'm the Leslie Lee III. I have to suffer that indignity. As well as Struggle Session, it is at the Struggle Session on Threads. I'll be posting some more stuff there. Not to help, you know, Zuck, but just to see Musk humble. Yes, this is a spite social media platform. And I think that's a lot healthier uh, than the other reasons we've been on these social media apps. But that's enough about that. Today's episode, I'm very excited about. I'm fine. I'm so excited you finally get to hear it. It took me a while to get it out. But here it is. Today, we're diving into our old pal Damon Lindelof and an excerpt about him, Carlton Cuse, and, and racist things they got up to behind the scenes at Lost. It puts a lot of things in perspective, but I think one of the things it especially puts in perspective is what you're about to hear, which is uh, one of Damon Lindelof's acceptance speeches at the Emmy Awards. You know, the one where Watchmen won, like, everything for being a politically forward-thinking black show. It's a little bit long, but it's worth getting through before we get into the meat of the show. Thank you so much again for listening. Remember, hit up sesh.show for all the links to subscribe to our show ad-free. Thank you to all our subscribers. Thank you so much. I am so happy to be back. We got some good stuff cooking for you. 
On with the show. And the Emmy goes to... Watchmen! We all tested, I swear. Um, thank you to the Academy for this incredible recognition to our fellow nominees, to Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons and ta Coates for their inspiration, to HBO and Warner Brothers for their unblinking support, to our partners, our spouses, and our children, thank you, Hedy and Van, who tolerated our absence and enabled our presence. And thank you to every single person who invested nine hours of their life into Watchmen. I, I knew this was never my story to tell, and the only reason I'm standing here now is because of the people who are standing alongside me, the ones who are zooming and zapping in from around the world. They told their stories, and it is one of the great honors of my life to accept on their behalf, and I'd like to share what I've learned from them along the way. History is mystery. It is broken into a million puzzle pieces and many are missing. We know where those pieces are, but we don't seek them out because we know finding them will hurt. Sometimes we cause that hurt. Maybe we even benefited from it, but we have to name it before we can repair it. Be careful, be clumsy, run hot, stay cool, be the bull in the china shop, pick up what you broke and glue it back together. Don't stop until it's great, affirm. It's never great enough, dissent. Be consistent, embrace paradox, never contradict yourself. And finally, stop worrying about getting canceled and ask yourself what you're doing to get <laughs> renewed. We dedicate this award to the victims and survivors of the Tulsa massacre of 1921, the fires that destroyed Black Wall Street, still burn today. The only way to put them out is if we all fight them together. God bless, stay safe, and thank you for this. I'm gonna go throw up. <laughs> Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to Struggle Session. How's it going? Thank you so much for joining us today. I am your host, Leslie Lee the Third, and as always, I'm joined by Jack Allison. Jack, how's it going, buddy? Uh, we have to go back, apparently. <laughs> apparently, we have to go back. But, oh, uh, God. I'm fine. I'm fine. I did not expect it, even though we got hints, you know, in the past few months that we would be doing another uh, dive into Damon Lindelof, uh, Jack. And, you know, I look, I'm not here to gloat, all right? I'm here because it's our responsibility because I, I, this is not a joke. I think we did the best Damon Lindelof podcast that there's ever been. Watching Watchmen was dope. Lots of great guests. We dived really deep, and we weren't really trying to bag on uh, Damon Lindelof. We were just trying to analyze the show and go along and as critics, right? Like, yeah, we approached I, I, it, and we actually said, if you listen to the early episodes, we said we expected to like this because people who behind the scenes had told us, "Oh no, this thing is good." Yeah, I, I, you know, in some ways, I'm even like. I think it'll be good to go through this article and I do think the article's really fucked up and everything like that. But there is the part of me that is like, you know, I, I, I 
what I don't like about Damon Lindelof, and, and that has changed, you know, after reading this article, I think that there's a lot of fucked up shit, and I do think that he's like kind of emblematic of uh, a time in Hollywood that, you know, has changed but hasn't really changed, I think, and we'll talk about it as we get into it. But yeah, there's the part of me that's like, you know, really what I don't like about Damon Lindelof is the work. You know what I mean? Like, really, it's like I don't like Watchmen, and I don't like Watchmen because of problems within the work. I don't like Lost because of problems within the work. I think he's overrated. Leftovers I do think is fine, but I think it's maybe overrated. But, yeah, that's even kind of like like in a lot of ways I'm like I, I certainly don't see it as gloating. You know what I mean? Because, like, I think that I still feel frustrated by people's sort of like refusal to engage with what Watchmen was really about. You know what I mean? And like, well, well, the thing about Watchmen now is really relevant now because the title of this episode is Damon Lindelof racist. Okay. (laughs) And look, the reason why I kind of went hard on, on Watchmen because it was a show promoted as being more than a show. It was a show promoted as being something like a concrete, like like an act of racial justice yeah. being done on the behalf of black folks. It was reparations. We, we don't need them anymore. We don't need them anymore because we have the Watchmen show. You can read my article on this uh, on the Watchmen show. I don't want to get all into it. But the way that all was presented... Not by not necessarily by fans, right? Like fans, they don't know. They don't know. They like the show. They learned about the Tulsa um, massacre from the show. That's all well and good. Regular Although fans. In some fine. ways, not to not to belabor it, but in some ways, it's weird to have this thing where we're like, we learned about the Tulsa massacre in a show where superheroes exist. Because yes. like in some ways, I'm like, does that make you think maybe it didn't happen? But whatever, we'll 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 move we'll I, go aside I, from that. You know, I've read a lot of posts about. Damon Lindelof and Watchmen the past week prepping for this, but there were people saying that you know that 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 their friends watched it and said that um that after watching they said oh no the Tulsa that couldn't have possibly happened that's too unrealistic after watching the Watchmen episode. <laughs> I mean like the yeah Tulsa there is massacre. there is the part of me that's like everyone's like people learned about you know the Tulsa massacre from this show and I'm like yeah but there's also like a man made of nuclear energy and so is that maybe <laughs> like maybe they should have done it as a documentary if the aim was to teach people about the Tulsa massacre but anyway that's an aside. As an aside, and you can go back into our old episodes at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or strugglesession.substack.com. We got a whole back catalog there. I promise you the Watchmen watch the watching Watchmen uh series is worth going back for. But getting back to here. So all of this, like and I talked about this before, Jack. Jack, I basically ignored the existence of Damon Lindelof until the Watchmen show came out. I didn't really I watched maybe the first few episodes of Lost. I didn't like I didn't when I went to go see like the Star Trek movies, I didn't know he wrote them or Prometheus. Like I was just not like he was just not on my re- radar as like a person at all. And mm-hmm. so some of the revelations in this article are really shocking to me because ex- but particularly the things that helped happened with Harold Perrineau, how could people who were TV critics around for lost people who are in the media around for lost not mention any of this shit 
when they were promoting Damon Lindelof as like the woke savior. When that Her- when the stuff with Harold actually was pretty public from what I understand. At least yeah. that's how the well, art- article paints I mean, it. They, they it, there was definitely stuff in interviews, you know, certainly. But I even remember as someone I did watch Lost and I was kind of a like lost watcher like kind of hating it as I watched it from like sort of season 2 onward. So I wasn't really like I, I like Lost is what made me not like Damon Lindelof because I got like hooked into that show and I was like oh they didn't know what the fuck they were doing and this show sucks you know but even aside you know from what Harold Perrineau said in interviews it was pretty obvious just from like watching the show that they fucked up his storyline like there was some there were things being set up there and then he basically disappears um and Walt you know the son on the show ostensibly just is kidnapped and disappears until the final season you know um and so yeah even as he like even just as a viewer i do think like critically you know a, a very weird thing happened around lost which is that the critics there was this thing about like trying to theory craft about what the show yes. was like doing and so so much of the criticism around lost was not criticism it was like fan fiction you know and that was like part of the whole lost ecosystem but so I'm like, in some ways, I'm like, I wonder, you know, if the show didn't really receive criticism because this kind of weird fanfic thing was standing in for it um, and was extremely popular. It was like a popular part of the show. Like people got, you know, like would have tons and tons of readers for their weird fanfic, you know, criticism things. But yeah, like even as a viewer of the show, I think it was kind of clear that like Harold Perrineau was done dirty and that the two sort of main black characters on the show from the beginning you know, kind of just disappeared. Uh, and then as the article gets into, there's another black character that got added to the show who was also kind of done pretty dirty on the show. Yeah, I'm actually shocked when reading that article that there were only, like, literally three black characters on Lost. That's like sub-Friends numbers. Like, Friends gets a lot of <laughs> shit for not having a lot of black people in it. But that's actually, like, really, really bad, kind of bad. Yeah, I, you know, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and it is funny, too, because I do think Lost kind of at the time, or maybe in sort of the, re- maybe it's more retrospective, but it gets credit for being kind of a very diverse show, um, you know, with just because I think, I don't know, I guess TV was just extremely white, you know, and so that they had anybody at all that wasn't white. But yeah, as the article yeah, gets Yeah, if into- you ask me, like, right now, Jack, as someone who just was casually, you know, a viewer of Lost. I was like, oh, yeah, they got a pretty diverse cast. They yeah. had Michelle Rodriguez. They had Henry Kim. They had all these people. But I, what you're telling me from the show and from reading the article, like, it really did become about the white, they were not the, main the focus. white characters. They were not the focus. They were kind of all the supporting cast. And a lot of times, like, plot-wise, were kind of done dirty, you know. Uh, um, but also, the show was just bad on top of that. It was a <laughs> sloppily written bad show, you know, that had no plan from the beginning and and, you know, even aside from the sort of weird race stuff and the credit it got, like, it just was a far worse show than, than you know, than people want to admit, kind of. Yeah. All right. And so this article uh, is interestingly, interestingly enough written by someone I think you could probably say was a friend of Damon mm-hmm. Lindelof's or at oh, least yeah. 
Yeah, I think I think so. At Maureen least. Ryan, we, it, it seems clear in the article. I mean, she is like a sort of very insider, you know, Hollywood writer, you know, lady, and I, I know her work uh, uh, very well. And yeah, it's clear from like the sort of tone of how she's talking to Damon that they have a pretty friendly relationship. And it still lights him on fucking fire. Um, we we kind of felt that something was coming because for some reason in the Damon Lindell has been promoting this new streaming show on Peacock. The uh, Nun show, da- whatever. Yeah. yeah, Mrs. Davis. I will say it's the first couple episodes seem pretty interesting, but like that's where all the budget went. Uh, YB mm-hmm. was watching it and I watched it behind him. I think YB uh, liked it, but when I saw those later episodes, I was like, oh, it's just people talking in rooms again. It's back to uh, streaming TV. But the first couple episodes might be worth the watch. Uh, and there, and he, and funnily, funnily enough, he did not name himself showrunner, quote unquote, of this of the show, Mrs. Davis, which was kind of odd. Like he did a lot of press for it. You know, it was his idea, but he was not the showrunner. And it was a little odd, especially since he was following up Watchmen, which got tons of critical acclaim, won all those Emmys, et cetera, et cetera. Like people, you would think people would be kind of hungry for the next, you know, Damon Lindelof joint. Here's a couple of quotes. And I think we talked about them on the show when they happened. He was just asked about a random question about like being a showrunner uh, and toxic spaces in general, like not him specifically, but he's like, you know, there's been writers room that historically have toxic spaces. Uh, what do you do to, you know, avoid that? How you write those wrongs? Like a really softball question. And he kind of comes out and admits that. Like, I want to make it very clear that I don't distinguish myself from those showrunners. I was one of the people that you're describing. Unsolicited. It was very... Like, Maureen had already been talking to him. Yes. You know what I mean? Exactly. This book was already happening. Like, he knew that this was going to come out. You know what I mean? So it's like... In some ways, and we'll talk about this later, but in some ways, and I'm not trying to, I don't want to make excuses for Damon, and I'm not actually, um, I do think that in all times in his career, he's like trying to act the way he thinks you're supposed to act. You know what I mean? Like, I think Uh. even when he was doing Watchmen, he's like, he's just trying to fit in to what the cultural moment of time is. And in some ways, I'm like, he's just a chameleon man. Like, he doesn't admit, he didn't admit that he ran a toxic you know, workplace because he like felt guilty about it or like wanted to like, you know, change the culture. He said it because he knew this article was going to come out and he's like already trying to chameleon himself into being the like having the right opinion publicly about it. You the know con- what I mean? The, contri- the contrite guy, the yeah, contrition guy. The- in, in this article, there's plenty of racist stuff in this article and it's it's unforgivable. You know what I mean? But in some ways, I'm like, this is still Damon trying to like be the sort of creatively libertine showrunner type of guy that he like saw in other people and wanted to be like, like, you know, I'm not, again, I really am not making excuses for him, but I am like, I think Damon is a fucking chameleon. You know what I mean? I think he just is trying to fashion him into himself into whatever is on vogue for the moment. That's what Watchmen is. That's what this behind the scenes bullshit is about. That's what it's about now with him even trying to be contrite. You know, he just wants to be like, wants to script for himself that he's a showrunner guy in whatever the modern version of Hollywood is. Ooh, 
Jack Allison mind hunter. You know, I see, it, <laughs> I see it just a little bit more cynically. I think he is just the fucking asshole guy, and he, the whole, and him shifting to Watchmen uh, and making this, you know, very pro, uh, allegedly pro black show was him kind of trying to whitewash his past because this show did come out around after me too happened and mm-hmm. a lot of people in hollywood were getting in a lot of trouble even things similar to what damon lindelof is in trouble for now so i i'd see it a little bit more as like kind of a, a, a t- but you know it could well, be both you know in we some, know it. in some but in some ways i'm like i actually don't think these interpretations are mutually exclusive. You know yes. what I mean? Like, I do think that even what you're talking about, like it being post Me Too and we're re-evaluating everything, like that still is him sort of like trying to fit the modern cultural thing. And yes, he might have done it with slightly more awareness of what was in his past and what might have come out about him or whatever. But yeah, I, I guess I'm like, I, I mean, I think we both agree that, you know, what six he did of one the, half dozen of I another. Mean, what he did, what he did with Watchmen was not because he was like a strong believer, <laughs> you know, in this like sort Even of ideologically, so- you know what I mean? Yeah, but but to both our points, people have said a lot. Yes, there have been Lindelof defenders saying that, you know what, Watchmen wasn't just him trying to uh, improve or change. It's proof that he did. Mm-hmm. already like this article is already kind of a moot point because Lindelof's already done he's already done the work he's Jack. done the work he, he read Ta-Nehisi Coates and he did a whole tv show about how um we should have black cops who shouldn't be afraid to use their guns <laughs> yes all right so we we we, we we we've been talking around this for a while now Let, we can dive into the article and again sure. you can read this at vanity fair and the article is again a part of a book yeah. that uh, marine ryan is put, uh, putting out called burn it down which i'm very excited to read it's very interesting to see an insider kind of write a book that is torching people who are still very very powerful i'm sure i i also do i also do sort of agree with the thesis of the book which is that like it's not even necessarily about the bad men it is about oh, no. the superstructure it's about yes, how absolutely. this thing of like people get put in charge of shows and they have no fucking training about how to like run a business you know what i mean it's the weirdest or manage thing. people manage work with people. people yeah exactly like it they, they have no idea how to do it and in fact you know there's been a lot that's been passed down as like being sort of like celebrating people for doing it in insane and like toxic ways you know what i mean which i do think is yeah. interesting i think that's interesting all right, so uh, the article start. We're not going to read a lot of the mm-hmm. beginning of it, but I just want to lay the groundwork here. We've been using the word showrunner a lot. Mm-hmm. Nobody knew what that word was. Well, maybe some people did, but it wasn't as commonly used when show when Lost started than now. Like that was not like it wasn't at a certain point. It was not like a job title, you know. Yeah. Well, it actually, and- by the way, isn't a job yes. title. We've talked about this maybe before, but like yes. it's a fake it's a fake designation that they give to one writer producer on the show that isn't a credit, doesn't exist as a job title, but yes, there it, it is something that the people are able to put in their Twitter bio, but really when we're talking about a showrunner, we're talking about a writer producer who is kind of in charge of the writers room. Joss Whedon um recently is a showrunner that uh, got canceled, but he's still mm-hmm. trying to make his way back. 
his fans fairly early on turned against him when the mm-hmm. first revelations came out about like him just cheating on his wife, right? And it wasn't even like like th- he was still working in Hollywood when the, I think we talked about it in like 2017, right? Like yeah, something like, like uh, that. Yeah, and so the fans immediately were kind of like Whedon-esque the message board named after him they immediately put a post saying fuck Joss Whedon he fucking sucks and that should be the approach everyone has to anyone whose job is just making television but for some reason Damon Lindelof got this tag that we reserve for actual artists genius genius Jack uh, if you search Damon Lindelof genius, you will actually find a lot of prominent people. In fact, uh, CNN's former CNN, <laughs> uh, former CNN anchor Jake Tapper. Oh no, he's made still a, a C- he's still a CNN oh, anchor. He's still there. Yeah, he's still. I thought on. you got. Oh, you're he's still there. You're thinking of like the guy, whatever. Uh, doesn't matter. So many of those guys have gotten fired for one reason. Dave, we could do a whole episode on he, him he, too. He, but. He's sticking in. He he's not. You know, he's not Chris Cuomo. He's not uh, Don Lemon. He he's a barnacle. So he tweeted out how pissed he was that Disney had fired um had as had fired Damon Lindelof from his Star Wars movie uh not knowing that this is the reason uh why and like the idea that someone who makes just entertaining TV and even network TV is a genius is so preposterous to me like Dick Wolf <laughs> is not a genius he's a guy who knows how to make shows that make you that you want to sit down and turn your brain off and watch and that's what TV mostly is but when you had the era of prestige and the article talks about Battlestar Galactica Breaking Bad mm-hmm. all these shows kind of coming out and the network TVs trying to keep up with this and Lost probably being the be- one of the best examples of like a prestige network TV show all of, all of this stuff is like when we put those prestige lab- labels on the shows, when we say these people are geniuses, that lets them get away with fucking anything. When they're just <laughs> like pieces of shit. Like I, when you re- read this article, when it gets into like how they behave, it's just like these are people who were fucking nerd ass pussies in high school, <laughs> nerd ass pussies in college. And as soon as they got a little power, they started abusing as many black people and women as they could. Yeah, and you know, like I said, I do think that this is, and I think that probably the Marine Ryan book will go into this, is that this, like, is, like, sort of in a very ugly way, like, a cultural thing about writers' rooms. Like, I do think that there was this kind of bizarre hazing of extremely nerdy people hazing other extremely nerdy people and kind of everybody kind of trying to show off uh, about how, you know, creatively libertine they are and how much nothing offends them. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and yeah, I don't know. Uh, and But but yeah, maybe we should get into some of the some of the individual things in the article. Yeah. So uh, this is a quote from one of the people who worked on the show. And as you said, Jack, uh, I can only describe it as hazing. It was a very middle school, very much middle school and relentlessly cruel. I've never heard that much racist commentary in one room in my career. So it wasn't just like, you know, the unspoken bias, right? That you, that you get the tra- training, HR training for. This was like explicit, you know, racist jokes and comments like, and then constant, constant. And it's not like a camaraderie thing, right? Because Jack, you've worked in Hollywood. I, I think you can tell me that 
generally speaking, is not the most professional place. And a lot of inappropriate <laughs> comments might be made that, you know, people may brush off because, you know, it, you know, we're all friends here. It's not that big a deal. We're just making movies, right? For sure. And I do think that that's, like, changed a little bit. But, again, like, sometimes, like, I don't know if it's changed because any people have become better people or if they're all just sort of doing what they think is expected of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I've certainly – I was in rooms, like, before – like Trump got elected and before me too and people were throwing around lots of shit you wouldn't expect to hear in a workplace you know um and yeah I don't know when I when I read this article um it it felt very familiar to me yeah the, but the article does say that even on lost it was worse than it like sounds the a little extreme it does yeah it was it was even worse than that and there was a lot of this shit though like i again like i it was there was so much of this and i do think it was a cultural thing in hollywood uh, uh to show how cool you were by not by being the least offended you could possibly be and now i think that things have shifted and it's like kind of about showing how you're the most offended person in the room and that you know and you're a good person because of that so the article started off with uh, what Harold Perrineau went through. And at the time the show started, right, he was like the biggest actor on the show, mm -hmm. right? Certainly, like, I certainly, I think it's fair to say he's probably, like, by far the best actor on the show. I haven't watched all of it, but, you know, he's an amazing, amazing actor. He's been in a ton of stuff. He's been, he was in, you know, big TV movies. Like, he was in the, the fucking Matrix, you know, like. He was a big kind of deal at the time, and they recruited him and he was for Link. the show. He was Link in the Matrix, yeah. Yeah, they recruited him for the show with the promise that he was going to have a big, big part in it. But that's not what happened. Yeah, he's quoted in the article. He says, it became pretty clear that I was the black guy. Uh, Daniel Day Kim was the Asian guy. And then you had Jack and Kate and Sawyer. Um, and then, you know, he later he says, uh, still, they recalled comments like, nobody cares about these other characters. Just give them a few scenes on another beach. Um, and so basically, you know, Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof, you know, kind of made it the Jack, Kate and Sawyer show. Um, and then, you know, Perrineau remembers being told, you know, well, this is just how audiences follow stories and that those were the characters that were relatable. And yes, we haven't mentioned Carlton Cuse that much uh, lately, just because he's he's worse than Damon. We'll say that he's a lot worse than oh, Damon. Yeah. He's a much much worse person. Uh, I mean, than him. but in they some were way, like, in some ways, I would be like he's like old school Hollywood and Damon's new school Hollywood. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, so it's somewhat it's like, more offensive. Yeah, like he is basically like I. You know, in this article, especially toward the end, he basically is just like, I, you know, contest every single story and I don't believe that any of it is true. <laughs> and Damon does the more modern thing where he's like, well, I don't know. I don't remember this, but I have no reason to believe anyone would lie about me. And so I'm going to listen and learn. Yeah, there's more mentions about the fact that when they were doing photo shoots, the black, the uh, characters of color would have to stand in the back. And the justification that people heard, he Paranum said he was he was told this that this is uh, well this is just how audiences follow stories and those were the those characters were relatable mm -hmm. meaning the white characters was it Sawyer Kate uh, and Jack isn't Kate Evangeline Lilly like the like MAGA actress <laughs> I think she's perhaps just anti-vax uh, oh perhaps she, she's anti-vax she, she's just one of the 
the many Marvel actors who's quietly anti-vax, and for some reason we don't talk about that. And and where where it gets worse with Perrineau, you know, versus Daniel Day Kim and every and the other characters on the show, you know, they're kind of being pushed to the side. But with Perrineau, you know, he's playing Michael, who, who's on the island with his son, you know, and these are the two sort of main black characters. And there's a moment in the first or second season where basically Walt, his son, gets taken away by the nefarious others on the island. Uh, and he tells this story, basically, you know, of that. I, I This was a Sawyer episode. You know, the way Lost was structured is it had flashbacks to, you know, one of the characters and sort of the on island story, you know, also featured that character. And so in this episode, you know. His son is kidnapped, and he describes basically they the way they wrote the script. Like he, his character doesn't really like react to it, and that the next scene is him just talking to Sawyer about like one of his own things, and you know he recalls you know talking to Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse about this, sort of being like, I just don't want to. You know, he says this. He says. I don't want to further the narrative, you know, that black men don't care about their sons. He says, you know, I just can't have this father not care about his son. Can we put in some more lines that show he cares about his son? They didn't. I ad-libbed some lines. I didn't give a shit at that point. Um, (laughs) Weeks later, he got a revised script. The flashbacks were now about Michael's pre-island life. He had two days to shoot those scenes as opposed to the several days devoted to the Sawyer flashbacks. It was long, 14, 18-hour days. And he kind of, you know, says that he got the sense they were trying to sabotage him. He was like, if you think I'm going to fuck this up, I'm not. I'm going to be really good. Um, So weirdly, you know, he asks them about it. They oddly, like almost aggressively give him what he asks for. And then uh, at the end of the season, um, they tell him uh, he won't be coming back. Um, and so Perino says, I was fucked up about it. I was like, oh, I just got fired, I think. I was like, wait a minute, what's happening? Cuse said, well, you know, you said to us, if we don't have anything good for you, you want to go. I was just asking for equal depth. According to Perino, the response from Cuse was, well, you said you don't have enough work here, so we're letting you go. Um, you know, I observed the royal. This is this is now Marine Ryan talking. She says, "I observed that the response seemed to indicate royal displeasure." Perrineau agreed. It was very much like, "How dare you?" Yeah. So, uh, and that's a recurring theme in the shows. Like when the actors did ask for more, like they weren't just told no; they were like punished, like aggressively gone after. It's also mentioned earlier on that there was initial the the first kind of issue that they had was about pay and how yeah. all the actors were paid very differently at a certain point they tried to band together to do what the friends did the cast of friends did where they said you have to pay us all the same amount of money and instead they just came up with a tier system <laughs> for the different actors a race and only tier. white actors yeah, only white actors were in the uh, top tier. Yeah, so but we actually skipped over something that I thought was interesting is that when he did talk to Damon and Carlton Cuse, you know, he said this is just furthering the narrative that nobody cares about black boys, even black fathers. And he says that was the thing that was always tricky. Anytime you mention race, everybody gets their hair gets on fire and they're like, I'm not racist, you know, and I do feel like that was kind of 
really what Perrineau got fired for here, because if we, you know, skip to a little bit later in the article, you know, Marine Ryan writes, finally, when Perrineau's lost departure came up, this is in the room, in the writer's room, Lindelof said, according to multiple sources, that the actor called me racist, so I fired his ass. Um and I mean, plain as day. Plain <laughs> as day. That's, yeah. just, that's just so pathetic. Like, that is fucking revenge of the nerd shit. Like, this act, this great actor who you begged to be on the show, you promised to give him equal time, and you did not do so, and then when he when he just pl- reasonably asked for more, like, it's not really shitty even asking for more. I think that that's even, like, a mischaracterization it, that yeah, kind that's of Carlton not even right. and Damon are saying. Like, he was really just saying, like, I don't, I'm not, like, cool with this father as a character not yeah, caring about no his sense. son being kidnapped. I'm like, that's really yeah. even, it's not even that, you know, he was asking for too much more screen time and everything like yeah. that. It was literally like, it doesn't seem like it's in character for me to not care about my son being kidnapped. And it in some ways, like, you know, furthers harmful narratives. And it really is Damon and Carlton that are like, he called us racist, so we fucking fired his ass. The article kind of jumps around, but here it gives some examples of the actual racist jokes that were made. The only one I think I can read is uh, when actor Adewale Akinowe Abaje's picture was on the writer's room table. Someone was told to remove their nearby wallet before he steals it. I mean, yeah, again, this is just the kind of thing I feel like that was meant to like that was this kind of like we all have balls and we're here what we're in this writer's room and everybody nobody gets offended at anything you know what i mean now like, jack let me ask you like do people in hollywood think people with like normal jobs are like this at work i don't no i think that that's the whole point is that we don't have a normal job and what we do is different and we're artistic and creative and we don't get a, or at least the opinion back then was like, we don't get offended and like, you know, uh, this kind of stuff, like we don't care about or whatever. Now, it's not the case anymore, but I think it's just as phony now as it was then. You know what I mean? Like now I think yeah. people are on guard to show that they're the most offended by things, um, to sh- you know, because that's kind of just it's all about what's on vogue in the moment is really all what it is, all that it is. And when it was time to kill off Edouale's, uh character, Mr. Echo, here is yes, here is something uh, that here is Carlton Cuse's uh, first draft for the idea. <laughs> Carlton said something to the effect of, "I want to hang him from the highest tree. God, if we could only cut his dick off and shove it down his throat." Yeah. So this is basically, I think, because Mr. the guy that played Mr. Echo. Uh, wanted to leave the show. And so they were like mad that he wanted to leave the show. So they were trying to be, you know, oh, we're so pissed off about this. And then, yeah, they also, you know, this is a black writer talking about this, talked to, they basically suggested, you know, pretty uh, uh, vile lynching imagery. Uh, uh, Yeah, that's lynch. That's lynching. That is the by definite, that is what lynching was. That's, That's literally what happened. Uh, to Emmett Till, like that's this is that's what it is. It's the mutilation and the hanging. I should confirm this, but I'm like, I think he maybe does end up hanged in the show. Actually, Damon Lindell. Oh, now he's not the one who made the comment. All right, he's not the one that made the comment, so he's not responsible for it. But if he knew about that comment and then went on to make Watchmen, 
Whew. The hubris. The hubris of it. You know, I, yeah, like, I, I think he was probably in the room, you know, when all this happened. And, yeah, I think that in some ways, again, this is Chameleon Man. This is Mr. Chameleon Man. Um but yeah, so uh, uh, and I think also what Owosu Breen, you know, this is one of the the writers who's quoted for the article, and she's a black writer, um, and I think she's she, a showrunner herself now. She's like a pretty big deal now herself. I think she speaks to kind of, you know, wh- like what the ethos was of writers rooms at the time she says you know uh, uh, she talks about how she was a showrunner she's apologized to people because the stress makes you know does bad thing makes you you know uh, uh, mean to people but she says about the lost room but this was racism I don't know that just doesn't that doesn't feel like the kind of thing that just happens when you're stressed. There was a blood sport aspect to how that room functioned. A Wusu Breen said of her choices on Lost consisted of, I become a dick and start making jokes at people's expense, or I'm the humorless fuck who no one could have fun around. And I think that that actually does speak to, you know, like the psychology of what was going on in writers' rooms around that time. Is that like, you know, it, it, it was a, you know, we're all... Friends, it was like a way of showing that you're all friends in some weird way. And it was like the more extreme you could be, you know, uh, uh, the more funny you were and the more things didn't matter to you, you know. And and if you pushed back on that or didn't like it, then you were like a wet blanket, you know. Yeah. um, A friend of the show appears in the article, uh, uh, Javier Grillo Marshall, who's a writer, uh, still going strong out there past this he quit lost in the second season because he was tired of this bullshit and he gives a story that kind of just uh encapsulates you know the whole kind of mentality that was going on behind the scenes he says it was a predatory ecosystem with his own carnivorous megafauna i love that lie like he's a good writer mm-hmm. i can tell he's a good writer just for that from how he's describing how shitty uh lindelof and cues were uh, here's a quote uh from the article Two years of what could be called the Tallahassee mentality was enough for him. The term comes from characters on the show poking fun at the Florida city. One day, the lost offices got a letter from the mayor of Tallahassee who gamely invited the show's personnel to visit and enclose brochures touting the city's attractive qualities. Pause here. That is normal. That <laughs> happens all the time. That normal. is like lo- towns wait for those sorts of things to happen so that they can do this 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 always happens it's nothing like wrong with this okay back to the article in response and this is a quote from javier in response damon told the writer's room to double down on tallahassee and when asked why he replied with a straight face that the only thing funnier than punching someone in the face for no reason is punching them harder when they ask why if you can imagine that as a management philosophy, you can understand what it was like to work on Lost. Yeah, I do think that that's illustrative. You know, I, again, I mean, in some ways, I'm like, I don't really care about the Tallahassee poking or whatever, but I do think. But it's like the mindset. Yes, like, if that that's your mindset, mindset. Yes, I do think that that's a real mindset, too. And yeah, I do think. Yeah, I I, I, I buy that. I buy that completely. That's, that's just bizarre. bizarre. Yeah. Like, Damon also just, like, seems out of his depth and does buy the bullshit about what a genius he is. Um, You know, there's a later part in the article here uh, that says, An editor wants me to minor suggestion regarding a story, and according to a Lost employee... 
uh, Marine will call Seamus. Uh, Lindelof made it clear her job would be in danger if she ever did again. She wrote an almost offensively effusive Mia Culpa letter. I'm so sorry, Seamus said. Offering storytelling input to Lindelof, Seamus observed, was an ultimate, was an absolute no-fly zone. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of times, you know, what happens, too, is that these people become like little tyrants of their own kingdom and do really buy the bullshit. You know, like everybody was writing about what a genius Damon is and Damon's response was, is kind of like, you know, maybe I am. Maybe I am a genius. Yeah. It, the article continues with, you know, the torment of these poor writers uh, in uh that you know were, was coming from Lindelof and Cues. Uh, even when the people start to kind of get turned on the show, uh, I think around maybe season five, and we're we're not too into some of the later episodes. One came out called Abbott Eternal, which I guess was very popular, right? If it's like what people consider it like one of the best. So these two writers, uh, ju- I guess junior writers, what, what what is the job? What's the job you give for the writers who aren't considered important because they don't even get like in the credits a lot of the time? That's just basically called a staff writer. You know what I staff mean? Writer. Like you are in the room, you're helping to like put it together, but unless you actually get the byline on an episode script, your name doesn't really appear in the written by well this these two writers did get bylines mm-hmm. on this one script for this episode that all the fans love uh, and, and turned out not to be a good idea which was a bad idea you never never want to do that. you never <laughs> want to be too good at your job and Linoff and Q's were pissed like pissed about this for some reason first of all they took credit for it uh one of the writers overheard cues in the other room telling an actor oh yeah i wrote that this particular line i wrote most of the script yeah which is a completely lie and then uh, they at one point and i'll read this quote because it's just insane it's just about the insanity of their mindset at one point the ab saga took a turn for the ridiculous I, I wouldn't use the word ridiculous here. I would say like dark and sociopathic, but you know, that that's the writer there. Um, Cues and Lindelof called nations and Hughes and Hsu Taylor into a room. And she recalled that they basically told us how much we owed them for letting us have our names on that script. And they implied it would probably be good if we got them a little present. So Sue Taylor went out and bought gifts for her bosses. She can't recall what she got Lindelof, Probably something Star Wars related, given his, given his love of that franchise. She says she brought Swarovski pencils for cues. Yeah. I will say that I do think the gift giving especially um, rings so familiar to me. Jack, the, the are weir- you fucking the weird your culture, bosses? The weird culture of... The expectation of buying a gift for the richest people in the room to basically show your appreciation for that they let you work for them is real. God damn. That is, that's, <laughs> uh, that is, that's, what, what the fuck? It's real. That's real. That's real. That's insane. Hollywood, right. Hollywood we- gift culture is something that as someone who was an outsider and was in for a moment, I truly found like insane. Lindelof's response, he had two, he had two different responses from when she talked to him in the original quote, he's kind of talked in broad terms. You know what I saw in this business around me 
was something was toxic mm -hmm. you know and so i was like it's okay as long as there is one or two writers who don't look exactly like me then i'm okay i came to learn that that was even worse for those specific individuals forget about the ethics or the morality involved around that de decision he's trying to dance around the fact that he's admitting to tokenism like the hiring <laughs> tokens <laughs> Uh, but just talking about the human effect of being the only woman or the only person of color and how you are treated and othered, mm -hmm. I was a part of that, a thousand percent. And so here's the thing about this, is that like, so what he's done, and this is why people now are like, you know, he's good now, he did Watchmen, I'm like, so what he did now was remained the boss, but like did kind of more tokenism you know what i mean like yes. he was like you know what i need to do is like what'll really be good is i'm still the boss and it's like now three white writers and seven black writers and now i'm like you know really doing good yeah i even think watchman i can't even think of a white writer on Watchmen. i may be wrong about this but like all the ones i can call recall off the top of my head or black but yes he was in charge and he made a lot of the decisions again that we talked about on watching Watchmen that kind of you know suggested that maybe this guy didn't quite wasn't quite as I don't know racially conscious as uh all the tv critics in the oh, world I, I know I know one other writer on uh Watchmen who was a, a white guy who Nick Cues Carlton Cuse's son oh my goodness <laughs> <laughs> Article doesn't mention that for some reason. <laughs> Article doesn't bring that up, I don't think. Um, so, and when she spoke to him later and she had, you know, all these quotes about specific racist shit that he had done and said, uh, including the quote about be firing uh, Harold uh, over uh, because he I fired his ass. He says about, this is Damon's, you know, response to that direct quote from two different sources. What can I say other than it breaks my heart that that was Harold's experience, replied Lindelof, who had said he did not recall ever saying that. And I'll, and again, people said he said that multiple times, not mm -hmm. once. He used to, he like loved saying it, but he this says one of the he jokes never he said did. it. He does do the modern guy thing where he's like, and I'll just see that they happened 17 years ago, and I don't know why anyone would make that up about me. You know what I mean? Like, this is really the difference between the Carlton and Damon responses. And is Damon is like, I don't want to deny lived experiences, and I'm listening and learning. <laughs> and Carlton is like, I flatly rejected any of that happened and speak to my attorney. Yeah, one denial that Lindelof makes directly that cannot be believed is that he never threatened anyone's career. Like, I I just do not. I don't know if any showrunner could actually say that. In some ways, I think that he might believe that because he'll probably be like, I was joking. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think for him, he's like, it was a joke. It was like a mean joke. But yeah, if your boss is like, hey, you're never going to work again, fucker. You know what I mean? Then you're kind of like kind of seems like he's saying I'm never going to work again, you know? People like to thread, like, right in the middle where they're like, that's a joke, but it's kind of serious, but I, I get to sort of emotionally feel like it was a joke. Yeah, and you better take it seriously. Yeah. All right, folks, we've done enough. That's enough of a deep dive. Thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Again, you can. I highly recommend the article. I'm excited. I really want to check out this book. I think it's very interesting. I don't. This is the book. This book should come out every year, right? Like if you <laughs> have this, like this should be just like we should just have an annual like write up. It, it does seem like it's not topical and that it's going to be like a, you know, sort of because I mean, even Lost is not really that topical. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think this is kind of about 
you know, the way things were and if they've changed. And my big contention is that things haven't changed and that people are still just doing it out of out of like what they think is popular. All right, folks, that was Struggle Session. Thank you so much for listening. Have a good one. Peace. Later. Later.